Well, today we have um, an incredible privilege and an incredible honor and a special treat to have one of my best friends with us here in the house today, Andrew Hopper, who is going to be bringing the word on our part two of our series, All, that we began last um, week. Andrew and I, we go way back. I could tell you stories for days about our history together. We were at seminary, at Southeastern Seminary together, and then we served alongside one another at the Summit Church for a few years. Um, one little tidbit I just want to encourage you on this morning is that I can bench press more than Andrew, so if he tries to tell you otherwise at some point today, don't believe him. Um, don't believe a word that he says, okay? I, I own him in the weight room. Um, as you could see, I didn't even have to, I knew you could see that by our stature. No, I'm just joking. Um, Andrew is a great friend, and uh, man, we are blessed to have him here today. Let me tell you a couple quick things about Andrew. What God is doing through our church and through Mercy Hill Church and through churches really across the country now really is a move of God in our generation. It's a move of God. In 2012, Andrew, with a team of a few dozen people, started a church called Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro in the Triad area. Um, what God has done through their church is not insignificant. It is momentous. Um, tons of people have come to know Christ over the last few years. Thousands of people called Mercy Hill Church home. Um, I believe in 2015, Mercy Hill was ranked number 11th fastest growing church in the country which is amazing. And then in that same year, Mercy Hill was the number one fastest growing church in the entire state of North Carolina. Just amazing what God is doing in and through their um, church. Um, we are blessed today to be able to have his wife, Anna, with us. Anna, we are so glad that you are here with us. You are a gem and a jewel. We are glad that you are here with your family. I heard you guys enjoyed the pool uh, this morning and we were at the beach yesterday. I'm glad that we could bless you in that way. Um, they come as well this weekend with their four kids. Um, I could almost do it for, from memory. Hattie Jo, um, AP, Benaya, and then their newest addition, their adopted child, Faith Ann, who is with us here uh, today. So, um, church, I want us to um, expect, have great expectation for what God is getting ready to do through the preaching of his word. I believe that Andrew has an anointed word for us today. And so would you, with me, put your hands together and give Andrew a big Bridge Church welcome as he joins us onto the stage. Man, Bridge Church, it is, uh, it is so good to be with you guys today. Um, exciting to be here in Wilmington. I love your church. I love your vision. Uh, we have been cheerleaders for you guys from afar ever since the beginning um, of the Bridge Church. We love your city. Uh, I was telling them earlier, I don't know if Ethan actually even realized this, but you know, when we were first thinking about planting a church, we came on a vision trip. Me and my wife came to think about planting in Wilmington, and what we came away from that trip with then was reconfirmed last night when we were walking around downtown that we are not cool enough to plant a church in Wilmington, okay? Uh, but Ethan and Ashley are, and uh, so you guys got the right ones. Um, man, I know you know this about your pastor, uh, but these guys love you. They love this city. Um, they help pull our entire network towards a couple of things. You know, um, the Bridge, I, Bridge Church, I tell, I tell our church, Mercy Hill Church, all the time because I think this is true that from inside of the movement, it's hard to see all that God is doing a lot of times, you know? Man, you come, you're involved, you do group, you do all, and you kind of, you go to your certain service, and you, maybe you sort of miss sometimes that God is, is moving on the whole, and, uh, and I know that's true at Mercy Hill. It's easy for us, to, it may be easier for y'all to see it at Mercy Hill, it's easier for us to see it in you uh, from having an outside perspective, but 
the truth is that God is using you guys in a mighty way. Um, man, like Ethan said, our network of churches, really kind of revival all over the country through our network. And you guys play a really special role in that. You may not realize how much you kind of pull our entire network uh, towards thinking about the city, towards trying to change the fabric of a city. You guys do a lot in, in helping us, the rest of the network, kind of be pulled uh, towards thinking about multi-ethnic ministry and diversity and these things. And so, uh, man, I just want to affirm that in you. Ethan and Ashley, um, while your church has, has experienced significant numerical growth, uh, man, the one thing I know about them is it is not about the numbers. It is not about percentages. Man, it is about people and life change and changing a city through the gospel. And so uh, I want to affirm them, affirm you guys. Man, it's just a cool thing that y'all are part of this. All right, we're going to dive in. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 today. They've already read it, so maybe you can, uh, if you haven't yet, go ahead and find that. I'm going to be jumping right back in with y'all's new series called Awe. I think about awe, awesome, awestruck, amazing. These are the words that come to mind last week. Uh, man, you guys had just an incredible word from Ethan talking about creation, and that is something I'll even hit on today. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God, and we see it uh, in creation. I'm going to be in Peru uh, on Wednesday, so I'm going to be going, God willing, I'll be there, and, and we'll, man, we'll be so far out in the jungle, we'll be doing all this, and I, I have a similar experience as Ethan does. When you, when you go so really far, you see the magnitude of the world. You know, we, we live in Greensboro, it's, a, it's three and a half hours from here, and we don't make it to the beach, honestly, as much as we make it to the mountains, but we try to come, you know, once a year, every, every other year, something like that. And even yesterday, kind of running out on the beach and watching just that flicker in my kids' eyes when they can see the vastness of the ocean and creation, uh, certainly you understand something about the artist by the beauty of their artwork, right? And so when we begin to look out and we see, yes, we have that grand moment where God is awesome and amazing and it fills us with awe. Y'all, I want us to have that same reaction today, maybe that moment like you had last week when you were thinking about creation. I want us to have that moment today when we think about the holiness of God, the complete otherliness of God, because that's what we get from Isaiah chapter 6. We're only going to look at a few verses today, all right? We're just going to look at a few, uh, and, and in that, I think that Isaiah is going to paint a beautiful picture for us. Uh, of the holiness of God and what happens in our life when we see it. You know, they, they, they say, uh, what, what's the adage? You guys know the adage. A picture is worth a thousand what? A picture is worth a thousand words, right? I thought I'd give you, any picture would do, but I thought I'd give you guys a picture, give you all a little more insight into our family culture, our Hopper, Hopper crew here. This is a picture of me and my kids have been building this for the last couple months. Uh, this is our chicken coop, all right? So uh, we're calling this the Hopper Hen Hilton, okay? It's the, it's the Tajma Hopper. It's the Ritz Hopperton. I could go all day, all right? So uh, anyway, we, uh, I, okay, that's the picture. All right, take the picture down. Now, I could, I could have showed you any picture in the world just trying to give you a little glimpse of our culture. The reason I put a picture up is how many pages of text would it take me to describe everything that you just saw? You know what I'm saying? Like, I could ask you question after question after question. One picture is worth a thousand words. Well, not a perfect analogy because the Bible, it, it doesn't have actual illustrations, but sometimes in the scripture, you'll get a snapshot of something where one of the writers is trying to show you what they have seen, and they do so in like five verses. I mean, you could write a, a, a thousand-page book off of what he saw, but instead, he boils it all the way down, and he gives it to us in this one matter of fact, I saw this, I saw this, 
and it created in me this. And that's what I hope that we can get to. That moment we had of grandeur in creation last week, I hope that we'll have that moment in holiness today. And then in seeing God's holiness, we're going to realize some things about ourselves. Actually, if you're taking notes, this is going to drive our entire time today. All right, this one, one big idea. A right view of God's holiness produces a right view of self, all right? Uh, that, that, that's going to be kind of the thing that drives us this morning. And when we see him in the right way, it shows us some things about us. Perfection is the king of, uh, uh, of kind of revealing imperfection. <laughs> when we see something in God, we're going to realize some things in us, and that's what I hope we can get to. My style of preaching, maybe probably a lot like Ethan, listen, I'm just going to walk through this passage and try to uh, explain it to you the best that I can, and uh, we'll just kind of walk through, and then towards the end, I'll flesh out this big idea in a couple different ways, try to make it a little more bite-sized for us, all right? So let's dive in. We're going to be uh, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 1. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, all right? Now, what we're going to end up seeing today is the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God, and Isaiah is getting a quick glimpse of that right here, right? The scripture says that in the year that King Uzziah died, he is ushered into the throne room, and that is where the vision begins. Last week, Pastor Ethan talked to you guys about SGS, right? Remember this? Small God syndrome. Well, this is going to be sort of the antidote for small God syndrome. Many, many, of, us, many of us have this view of God, uh, and I, I love that Ethan said this last week, that's, it's, like, it's like God is just this uh, little better, little bigger, you know, little more holy version of us. Uh, we have this vision of God where it's like this. We kind of think of God as being like the personal trainer in the weight room, where, where you go in and you're like, yeah, they're a little further along, but you know, if I just put some work in and have a nice kind of can-do attitude, maybe one day I can be them, right? We, we think they're, they're going to do, uh, I, can, I can look like that. Well, the problem is going to be when we start to realize that to get a view of God, Isaiah is ushered into the throne room of glory. There's going to be a moment here for Isaiah where he begins to realize it's not that I'm going to see God and I'm going to say, oh, yippee. I'm not going to see God and I'm going to say, oh, this is, this is great. I've now seen uh, the picture of my future if I just do the right things and am a little better. No, what he's going to see is something in God's holiness that is totally otherly than him. And I think our first glimpse of that big idea is that he is ushered into the throne room of heaven. He sees this king sitting on the throne with these massive angelic beings flying around him. King Uzziah was a king that reigned for 50 years in Judah, all right? A lot of history here. You guys can go back and y'all can read in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uh, he came to the throne when he was 16 years old. What a disaster that would be if one of us had been on the throne at 16 years old. Can you imagine this? I mean, I remember they gave me a keys to a car at 16, unbelievably. What if somebody gave you the keys to the whole kingdom, the treasury, the army, all of that stuff at 16 years old? But he had been reigning for 50 years. Now think about this. Uzziah reigns for 50 years. Most people that were in that time, their entire life, Uzziah has been reigning as the king. He was a stabilizing figure in a prosperous time in that nation. Now, by, by the end of Uzziah's life, 
kind of the winds were starting to shift and change. The, the climate, the skies were sort of changing towards Israel and Judah. Babylon was rising. Assyria was rising. Their sovereignty as God's people was being questioned. Uh, but Uzziah was sort of that stabilizing force. Now, what's interesting to me, and I think that this isn't necessarily the main point today. I've talked to you about holiness, and we're going to get into that. But isn't it interesting in this story that it is the moment that Uzziah's reign is over that Isaiah catches a glimpse of another king? And I think about this for some of our lives just very practically here. There are some of you in here, maybe even today, that there have been things that you have looked for that maybe the sand is beginning to shift under those things. See, one thing we learn from this passage is that when things that were stable become unstable, we have the opportunity then and maybe are put in a position to begin to see the great stabilizer once again, right? So when things become a little shifted for us, I don't know what might be a great stabilizing thing in your life. Maybe it's financial success. Maybe something that has given you stability in your life is a relationship. Maybe some of those things might be shifting. Maybe that's why you're here today, that some of those things could be crumbling. Maybe there is a, a, a health thing or a financial thing or a, a status thing that is getting shifted. Well, what if in searching for that king and stability, what if in taking it away, what if that thing falling could be the trigger for you to end up seeing a greater king, one who sits on the actual throne? Well, for Isaiah, I mean, that's what's going on. The people have looked to Uzziah. Uzziah now has gone through death. It's a kind of a destabilizing time, but it is in that moment that they are put in the right position to be able to see God's word and have it revealed to them. The Bible says that they see the true king, and it's, it's this picture of, of the king being high and being lifted up. He is sitting on a, a throne, and, and the, the train of his robe fills the entire temple. Psalm 93.1 tells us that his robe is, is something that clothes him in splendor, and it clothes him in majesty. And Isaiah is catching a glimpse of this. Isaiah looks up, and he catches a glimpse of these angelic beings that are flying around the throne room. Now, these angelic beings are called the seraphim, all right? Uh, the seraphim, a uh, rough translation, is called the burning ones. There is a bit of a connotation with the seraphim that they would almost be serpent-like, burning serpent wings, giant. I want you to see the power that is there, that these angelic beings, they circle the throne room, and every time they come around the throne, we're going to see they cry out. What do they say? They're going to say, holy, holy, holy. They come around every time. They're looking for something else to say, and the only thing that can come out of them when they see God is they cry out and they say, holy, holy, holy. Giant serpent burning, flying. You know, throughout history, people have said that Isaiah borrowed the seraphim. They've said, well, the, the Egyptian uh, pharaohs, they had something in their mythology like the seraphim that stood guard and kind of watched over them. And I would say, well, y'all, that's the big point. A pharaoh needs somebody to guard them. God doesn't need a guard, <laughs> right? When you are unrivaled, what did we sing? In, what did we just sing? There is no rival. There is no equal. When you are unrivaled in all of the universe, there is no need for anyone or anything to guard you from anyone or anything. Right? Now, we need a guard. I mean, we have like, you know, alarm systems and people got a dog at the house and a fence and all that kind of stuff. I understand. But when you're thinking about somebody that there is no rival in all of the universe, there is nothing to guard. These guys don't guard. 
They don't guard. Instead, they declare, all right? They declare the glory of God. They don't guard. They declare that is the point of them. They fly around and they scream at the top of their lungs who God is, that he is holy. Look at verse 3. One called to another, and he said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. You know, I'm, I, uh, I think about this, and I've tried to get myself in this passage many times, and I hope you're getting the picture of it. I hope it's painting in your mind. But, you know, to actually have been there, it's pretty amazing that Isaiah was able to even try to write some of these things down. I mean, if you just saw it, you know, uh, a guy named Thomas Aquinas wrote a ton of theology, uh, 1200s. Um, you know, he, there, there came a time in his life, he's one of the greatest theologians. We read his stuff in seminary and all of that. There came a time in his life where he was caught up in a vision, and when he, when he had that vision, he put his pen down and wrote nothing else for the rest of his life. He didn't even finish his grand theological treatise. What he said was, after what I have seen, my writings are straw. <laughs> I think about that with Isaiah, and I'm like, man, I thank God that he was able to even write these things down as brief as they are, but he tries to give us this picture, and what have we seen? We've seen a king that is high and lifted up, a king that is not guarded, but he has the burning angelic beings that are flying around, just showing off who he is and his power and his holiness. You know, these angelic beings, I want you to think about this. These angelic beings are so strong. Later in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 36, uh, you think about the power of, of humans and armies and, and the Assyrian war machine, 180,000 fighting men surround God's people. You go read this in Isaiah 36, and they, they scream over the wall. They have their lackeys kind of screaming in, don't trust God. You need to make a deal. Don't trust God. He cannot protect you. And that night, God sent an angel, and he killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors in a night, and we don't even know how long it took. <laughs> Might have took the angel five minutes. I don't know. That's how strong it is. But they don't guard. They declare. They use all of that strength to simply cry out and scream out, God is holy. He is holy. You know what I take from this church? And you guys, man, you're, you, it, it's awesome. Your worship team, incredible. Man, y'all are so blessed. You come in here uh, every Sunday. But don't make a, a, a mistake. We do this at Mercy Hill, too. We have that little countdown clock. You know, it's like it goes all the way down, and, and then, you, then you begin to worship. We do that at our church, too. Let us never think that we are starting the Jesus worship party when that thing hits zero, okay? We're just joining the one that never ends. That's what we do. We come in. We have the opportunity to join in for a little bit of time. We, we take our step in, and, then, and then, we, then we step out, and we worship in other ways in our life. But when we come together and we declare, we are joining a song that never ends. You know, there was some times in my life, and there have been some times in my life, uh, where I've gone through hard things. And uh, one of those things, maybe just even a few years ago, man, I was just riddled with anxiety. And, and, uh, and there was some great songs that really helped me. And one of the songs that came on the radio uh, was this song. Maybe you've heard it. It says, Amen, Amen. Uh, and, and it says, um, it says, I'm alive, I'm alive because he lives. But then it says, amen, amen, let our song join the one that never ends. We get a chance to step into something that will go on for all eternity. A Jesus party don't stop, okay? And so we have the opportunity. This is what is going on. This is what Isaiah is seeing. He's bringing all of this in. He's getting all of it into his, his bones here. Now, what did the scripture just say? It said that the earth is filled with his glory. I don't want to go back and, and, and preach on top of uh, Pastor Ethan's message from last week, but I bet you this is a theme that will come up. 
You know, Isaiah is standing there and he is looking and he's got to realize in this moment, I'm seeing the king high and lifted up. His robe, it fills the temple. These angelic beings are screaming out and he is the creator God. Everything that we see is stamped with his seal. We can see that he has spoken all things into uh, existence. Y'all, there's not a mountain, there's not a sunset, there's not a beach, there's not a tree, there's not a plant uh, that does not declare the absolute glory and wonder of God. Any artist, all right, whether it be music, whether it be something that is on uh, a pen and paper, whatever it is, poetry, every artist is judged by the beauty uh, of their work, of their artistry. And God has taken his paintbrush out and painted the sunrise and painted the mountains, and we can see his greatness. You know, some of you might be brand new here today. And if you are new, man, it's so cool. Like Blaster Ethan said, man, all over the country, there are people, it's their first time today at a Summit Network church. And Greensboro, here, Charlotte, I mean, all over our state, there's that way all over the country. And, and even, more, not even, even more so than just the bridge, we're excited uh, kind of as a family of churches that you are here today. But, you know, you might be here today. You might have some lingering questions. You might be here today. Let me ask you, what, what does it excite in you to see the beauty of creation? And I want to ask you this question. I hope maybe you'll go out and you'll, you'll ponder this. Why is it not only that creation, we can see the beauty of God, we can see the beauty in it, but why is it, church, that you alone in the universe can recognize it? That's the question to wrestle with. Not only that it's beautiful, but that God has put his image inside of every single human being. There is a consciousness in, uh, Francis Schaeffer called it, our mannishness. It's our, humani it's our humanity. There's something in it that we are different. You can give a dog about another billion years or whatever of evolution. It's never going to buy a condo to watch a sunrise, okay? It's just not going to happen. There is something that is unique in us that we get a chance to experience and see God as his glory fills the earth. And I would call upon you to think about these things. Well, what else happened here? It says that this, the, the, the throne room was filled with smoke and the building is shaking. And that is significant. Church, when people go from knowing God to experiencing his glory, things shake in the Bible. That's what happens. The ground begins to move. You see this in Acts. When the Holy Spirit falls, they're praying. I mean, the foundation of the house moves. You see this in, in, in Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. God, God falls upon the mountain and there is a quaking and a movement. Uh, the reason that, that is in the scripture, it's a marker for us. When things are moving, we should see God's work is on display and certainly Isaiah recognizes that here. Now, this is the crux of the whole message, all right? I'm trying to paint this picture for you guys, all right? This is just sort of the, this is what is going on with Isaiah. But this is the whole point. What is Isaiah's response going to be? Because I want to argue with the rest of my time that whatever his response is, is going to be the same response. Whether it's 2,800 years ago or right here in 2018, his response is going to be the same response as ours. If we stand before this incredibly awesome God and his holiness is on display, like the surface of the sun shining into our sinful lives, our response is going to be the same as Isaiah's. And here's what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. You know, you know somebody by what they say, especially in secret, right? What he's saying is what's in my heart and in my soul has come out through my lips. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Church, many of us think, I close my eyes in this life, 
and I wake up in the next life, and suddenly I'm going to think, wow, wow is not what we will think, all right? Wow is not what Isaiah says. He says, whoa. Whoa, it's a curse. What Isaiah says is that as I stand here in my sin and the surface of the burning hot holiness of God is shining into my life, I'm not wowed by this. Isaiah doesn't think, oh, oh, here's a little better version of me. That's our SGS syndrome. He's just a little better, a little holier. I can get there one day, a little can-do attitude. I can work on things here. No. What happens is we don't say wow, we say whoa. What he is saying is I am coming apart. I mean, he looks at God and he's saying, literally, my joints and my bones and the very fabric of my soul is being torn away. That is what awaits me if I stand in the presence of this God in my sin for another two seconds. All right, I told you I want to drive everything that we're talking about with this idea. A right view of God produces a right view of self. I think that breaks down into two ways. The first one is this, the holiness of God reveals the unholiness of humanity. When we begin to see God for who he is, it reveals first and foremost in us who we are. And there's really two parts of this for Isaiah, okay? And I want to be faithful to the text. Isaiah not only says, I'm a man of unclean lips, he says, I dwell in a people of unclean lips. You and I, in Western society, 2018, America, we wake up in an extremely individualized culture. That doesn't mean that it's right, okay? You go around the world, different, different people, they kind of view family groupings and nations and that kind of thing, maybe even differently than we do, but he hits both. See, Isaiah is a man who is coming out of a culture that is highly communal. It's like whatever the culture is wrong, whatever the culture deserves, I deserve, okay? So if he's thinking about a people, he's thinking, man, if you go back and you read Isaiah the first few chapters, you're going to realize this is a people that are steeped in rebellion. Judah has turned from God. There is injustice. There is meaningless religious ritualism. There is drunkenness. There is abuse. That's what's going on. When he stands before God, he's just part of the crowd coming from a people of unclean lips. I mean, I think about that for us. I mean, do we not stand right there? I mean, we look, in, in terms of if we just stood before God, the people that we have come out of, racism, trafficking, injustice, abuse of the poor, domestic violence, extreme amounts of pride, extreme amounts of unchecked anger. But it's not just that we come out of a people because what he says is, I. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. See, Isaiah understands in one second of standing before the Lord of glory, in one second he understands I see in you what I'm not. He understands, God, you see me for who I am. All of this holiness is shining a spotlight on everything that is wrong with me. Every moment of unchecked anger. You ever spoken a discouraging word into somebody's soul and knew you did it? Every bit of racism that is in our hearts, every bit of sexual sin that we commit or we dwell on and ponder and think about, everything that is wrong with us comes to the surface in about one second when we realize the holiness of God when we see it. See, God is holy and we are not. And that is a fundamental theme of the book of Isaiah. Now, I think for us, okay, many times we don't quite understand uh, this, and, and it's hard for us in 2018 and our, where we live, okay, because many of us view sin a little differently. Like, like we think, man, I don't know if I stood before God, if I would just immediately think like, man, woe is me, and my whole body's coming apart, and my soul, and all of that. The reason is because we think about sin in a very man-centered point of view, all right? 
We think about it from humanity. What we say is, well, I'm a sinner, but like, man, I ain't as bad as that guy over there. <laughs> or what we say is, like, oh, I've seen somebody on the news or whatever, even in another country, and like, man, they're this, and, and I'm not that, and our people aren't that. We're always posturing ourselves against one another, when the fact is that it is our sin enough, our sin in, in, in comparison to the holiness of God, that whatever our sin is, you know, we have this propensity to sort of think to ourselves like, well, I'm kind of sinful, but, you know, hey, there's going to be this giant scale, and maybe one day, you know, God will kind of, y'all, when you see the holiness of God, the scale is gone. <laughs> it's like you see the holiness of God, and you realize every imperfection in my life has come out. I mean, think about how arrogant it is when we even say that. We say like, well, I view sin kind of okay because I'm not as bad as that guy. That's the definition of pride, Okay. That's like the definition of arrogance and pride is to be comparing ourselves with everyone else. No, what the scripture says is that when we come before God, the burning hot sun of holiness, when it comes into our life, everything that is impure in us is revealed in one second. We have got to stop with this idea of comparing our sin with one another, and we need to realize that the repercussions of sin always reflect the person that you sinned against. It's two sides of the coin. Isaiah is standing there, and he is thinking to himself, I have sinned in these ways. Well, guess what? Isaiah knew he was a sinner the day before that he was standing uh, in the throne room of heaven, okay? He understood that before and wasn't walking around saying, woe is me. It is the sin that we commit in light of the holiness of God that makes us real. Like Isaiah knows in one second, I deserve hell. I deserve separation. I deserve to be annihilated. I deserve anything that comes from God and his holiness because of how sinful I am. Not even just because of the sin, but because of who the sin is against. And we have sinned, all of our sin is against God. Now we understand this intuitively, all right? I'm going to try to illustrate this. We, we get this. I want you to think about it like this, okay? The, the sin against whom? If you kick a rock, nobody cares, okay? If you kick a fish, there's a limited amount of people that might care, <laughs> right? Now, if you kick a dog, like everybody cares, especially in Wilmington, all right? I have seen like dogs everywhere since we have been here and little water bowls and everything else, all right? You kick a cat, now we're sort of back to how nobody cares, okay? Now, now okay, all right, easy, easy. Holy moly. I, saw, I felt, I could feel the, it was a joke, all right? It was a joke. Um, but think about this. You understand what I'm saying. You kick a, you kick a child, now, now the social services are getting involved. You see what I'm saying? You kick the reigning ruler of a nation somewhere. You, you see what I'm saying? It's not just what you have done. It's who you have done it against. I want you to think about treason, for example. If you committed treason against a friend of yours, which I understand treason is kind of a big word, all right, for, for like a friend. Commit treason in a relationship, you get defriended on Facebook, so what, all right? You commit treason against a parent, you know, or something like that. Maybe you get kicked out of the house against a boss. Maybe you get fired. You commit treason in a wartime situation against a general or a ruler of a country and you hang. It's the same act, right? It's the same thing. I've betrayed someone. It's not just that I did it. It's who it was committed against. See, that is what Isaiah sees. He sees my sin is against this God. I've sinned, David said, against you and against you alone, meaning my sin is first and foremost against a holy God who created the world in its entirety because he loves us, that we could thrive, and we have spit in his face, kicking, screaming, rebelling, running away in all of our sin. It took one sin to break this entire world, and you and I are 
full of sin. And it's against God. Now, when we see who we are and we see who he is, things begin to come to light. And what Isaiah's response is, he says what? He says, woe is me. I am undone. I deserve whatever comes. Well, what, what, what do we deserve and what comes? The Bible fleshes out even more. You know, you think about this. You, you go on and you read the rest of the Bible. What does it say? It says that there is a place of outer darkness. It says that there is a place where there is a continual flame. It says that there is a place of separation from God where we were created to be with God, but this place, God is not really there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a soul wound on into eternity that pays. See, I, I think about like this. I don't know if maybe we, you know, Pastor Ethan, we're, uh, you know, we're, I, I guess we're still part of the younger generation of, of churches. I don't know how long we, long, much longer we can keep playing that card, but um, I think about it like this. Like, man, are we, you know, I, I know our, our generation might be really high on preaching the beauty of the grace of God. Beautiful thing. God, and I'm going to get to that. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. God's grace, man, he wants, he, he's as good for you. He desires uh, great things for you, and he wants uh, his plan for your life to come to fruition, and all of that begins by coming in a relationship with him. And it's a beautiful thing, the grace of God, but the holiness of God has got to be laid up right next to that and beside that, that it's not just that when we call someone to salvation, we are calling them to move into what God has for them, but it is also that when we reject that, we are faced with the burning sun of holiness that will reveal every imperfection in our life. I was driving through eastern North Carolina uh, last summer, and I saw a church, y'all. The church was named Brimstone Baptist Church. They don't play, okay? And we might need to get back to some of that uh, where we are, are, are able to at least say, hey, you can't stand before the holiness of God in your sin. Now, I'm trying to, come, trying to get all of us to the place where we say, like, man, that is harrowing. I mean, that is, that is hard, right? It is harrowing. It is hard. But God never leaves us without hope because there is a way that even though our sin cannot remain in the presence of God and even though we deserve outer darkness and all of these things and we should be the ones saying, woe is me because of all the sin that I've committed, God has made a way for us in the gospel. And that's what I want to show you. Number two is this. God makes us holy only through the gospel. The gospel is a simple message. It means Jesus in my place. It means that what I deserve was to be crushed, to be cast out. But God made a way when there was no way. And someone has come to take the penalty of my sin and give me the rewards of his righteousness that's what the gospel is. It's a sacrifice. It's somebody in my place. Isaiah gets a chance to see that. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is what? Atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah chapter 6 is all about the holiness of God, but what we see in 6 through 8 is our pathway to holiness. It is our pathway. It isn't through good works. It isn't through trying a little bit harder. What does Isaiah do here to receive the atoning of sin? He simply stands there and receives the gift of God in faith and in belief, and that is what we are called to do. See, this whole thing is set up in Isaiah chapter 6 to be a sacrifice. That's what it is. You go back and you read the book of Leviticus, and in Leviticus, what we have is this idea that the people have sinned and they are deserving of death, but an animal, a symbol, will stand in their place. 
that that animal will shed its blood instead of the people, that the animal's blood would cover symbolically the sin of the people, and through faith, through seeing the symbol, people would believe that one day God would send a Christ, send a Messiah, that he would come and do uh, what the symbol is pointing us, uh, that it would, you know, that one day it would happen through his sacrificial uh, lamb that would come, Jesus Christ. That's what we end up seeing throughout the rest of the Bible. You get out, you, you know, you read, we read the Bible from front to back. You interpret the Bible from back to front. Okay, so once you've read the whole ending, then you kind of go back and you can start understanding some of these things. Well, what ends up happening here is that we see Isaiah is seeing a picture of that true sacrifice. He's seeing a picture of the one who would come. And listen, I'm not making that up. I don't have to make it up. In his very same book, I believe that Isaiah shows us a picture and a glimpse of that atoning work of Christ. He is seeing not just a king on a throne, but he is seeing the suffering servant. Look at Isaiah 53 with me, and I'm not going to read this whole thing. You'll get the picture. I've got all of them in. I could read it, but we don't have time. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Y'all, if I read this whole chapter, you would see that phrase, for our sin, for our iniquities, for our transgressions, no less than 10 times. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This passage depicts a sacrifice, a worthy lamb. It depicts Jesus Christ. So what you have in Isaiah 6 is this. I see the king on his throne. Now you go back and read John chapter 12, and Jesus tells us that actually who was on the throne was Christ, okay? He says, I'm the one that he was speaking of there, okay? So you see Jesus on the throne in Isaiah 6, but then you have this beautiful picture of sacrifice, and later Isaiah shows us what it is. It's this king, here's what it is. Jesus was high and lifted up on a throne, but you know where else he was high and lifted up? On a cross for our sins. See, Jesus was the one who had the robe that filled the temple with its train, but he was also the one that traded the beauty of that robe for another that was broken and ripped and bleeding, and they ripped it from his back, and they gambled it at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ was one who, yes, when he spoke and the seraphim in all their glory began to talk, there is smoke and there is a shaking and the ground is shaking with the glory of God. Well, the ground would shake again when it was broken and groaning. The earth shook when Christ was dying. The earth shook when the stone was rolled away. You see how this connects that Isaiah is showing us this king of glory is also the one who would trade himself for us. He would trade himself for you. That is our path to holiness. The only thing, church, that should maybe blow us away more than the holiness of God is the lengths in which he was willing to go to make us holy ourselves. And when we begin to see that, two, two things, and I'm done, all right? There are two different groups of people that maybe when you begin to see that, this is what comes out in your life. Some of you are newer. Some of you have been coming around. Some of you have been hearing this idea of the gospel and salvation. Maybe today is the day for you. Maybe today is the day that you step over that line, that you begin to realize what I deserve is to be undone, but some kind of way through the gospel, God is not, I'm not undone, I'm being put back together. <laughs> there is, I'm showing you in here, 
in this idea of Isaiah 6, Isaiah 53, especially when you get into the Gospels, you have a pathway here. You're going to close your eyes one day and you're going to wake up and you're going to stand before God and you're either going to say, woe is me, or you're going to say, wow. You're going to say, whoa, I'm becoming undone, or you're going to say, wow, this is what it looks like for me to be put back together in a new heavens and a new earth where the scripture says the mountains are going to clap and the trees are going to sing. What do you think we're going to do? (laughs) Right? We're being put back together. I know it's hard, though, because to open your eyes, it's painful. You see that bright light that reveals all your sin. It's like, man, I want to keep my eyes closed. You know, I thought about my little boy. He was was like four years old or something like that. Um, He's seven now. And one time he got double pink eye, okay? I don't know, man, if you're a parent, oh my gosh, pink eye, you know? And, uh, and, and we, we probably took him to the doctor. It was a Sunday. We took him to the doctor on the Monday, and it was probably about a day too late. And so his eyes were just like this when he woke up the next morning. And he was crying and, man, just upset. And we wanted him to open his eyes, but, man, it just hurt, you know? He didn't want to open his eyes. The light was hurting. Everything was, was swollen, and he didn't want to open his eyes. And it was funny to me to, to see a kid, I mean, four, four or five years old. I mean, y'all, he just resigned himself to blindness within about five minutes. He's just like, well, it was great being able to see, you know. But <laughs> I remember he's like feeling his way down the hall, you know. He sits down. He's like, Dad, just turn my Ninja Turtles show on. I'll just listen to it. That's what he told me. <laughs> it's like, buddy, you're not blind. Like, we're going to, we got to, come on, man. We got to, we got Open your eyes. I know that it hurts. I understand that it's painful. Man, for some of you in here today, I don't, it is painful. Man, there is suffering. When you begin to open your eyes to your own sin, that's hard to realize, like, man, my imperfections put Jesus on the cross. But wouldn't you want to open your eyes to the beautiful path of holiness that God has set up for you? Not that you can get there on your own through your works. But the blood of Christ covers you. You are joined with him in his resurrection. We are born afresh and anew. Uh, church, I know it's painful to see your own sin, but it's totally worth it to see his path to holiness. I pray today might be the day of salvation for some of you. And I would say this, last thing. I would say for some of you in here right now that are, are, are believers, man, you're part of the bridge. This is your home. This is your fellowship. Man, did you realize how the ordering went here? He was cleansed of all his sin, Isaiah was. The, the, the burning from the altar cleansed his lips with picture and atoning work for his soul. And when that happens, what does he say? Here I am, send me. Some of you in here today, you know what happened with Isaiah? The last, ten, the last few years of his life, I'm talking about torture, nobody listened. You know, we have this great heroic figure y'all talked about. David wrote the book of Psalms, right? Isaiah was more akin, not to a king and a warrior, to a wild man, street preacher that people walk away from rather than walk to. That was the last few years of his ministry. Prison, all of these things. I want you to understand something, church. When he saw the gospel for what it was, he said, here I am, send me, before he even knew what the assignment was. And that's some of us right now need that. I mean, we're waiting around, we're waiting around. No, 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 the posture is, God, I deserve to be undone. You have put me back together through the gospel, so here I am, send me. Some of you might be contemplating right now, man, am I gonna do serve, you know, serve the city, and man, am I gonna be a part of that? Here I am, send me. Some of you might be thinking about international work in Haiti or wherever it is that the bridge is involved. When we see the gospel, our posture changes. God changes us. If he is willing to go to these links for us, he certainly loves us, and we can trust him. Here I am, send me. All right, let's pray.
Father, we come before you now, and as we come into a time of communion, Lord, I pray, uh, Father, that you would break our hearts. Father, for those of us that aren't quite believers, God, could we see in this passage there is a path to holiness for us, not by our own merit or work, because of what you have done. Lord, we deserve to be undone, but you are putting us back together. Father, I pray uh, for those of us in the room that uh, are believers, and God, you're part, they're part of the bridge, and Lord, I just pray that our posture would ever be, here I am, send me. God, before we even know what it is, Lord, I pray that our heart would be so moved by the gospel that we would be in that frame of mind. Lord, I pray you'd move through us, uh, move throughout the midst of this congregation through communion now. In Christ's name, amen.